What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. We are continuing our series on lessons on family from the book of Genesis. We looked last week at the story of Abraham and how he was commanded by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. Thankfully, God never wanted that as a sacrifice. Instead, we saw how it was a test meant to help Abraham grow and mature in his faith. When children and family members make life hard, the test isn't can you be perfect or even can you make them be perfect. No, the test is, will you be faithful to God in the middle of these challenges? That's what Abraham teaches us. Now we move ahead in the story of Genesis. We'll hear the next part from Paul. Uh, Abraham has died at this point. He had one son who was rejected, Ishmael, and another, Isaac, who had two sons himself. This is the story of Abraham's grandchildren, Jacob and Esau. They are twin brothers who are anything but brotherly toward one another. In fact, we are probably hearing echoes of the same problems that happened between Isaac and Ishmael. Uh, uh, from, From one generation to the next, there are problems between siblings in this family. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is Genesis 25, verses 21 through 34. Paul? Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. Afterwards, His brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore he was called Edom. Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup, and he ate and he drank and he rose and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. 
And from 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. As we consider life with our friends and family, help us to be the right kind of brother or sister for another. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Growing up, we had neighbors that had children just like us. There was Wes, who was the oldest and the same age as my oldest brother, where uh, there were the twin brothers, Matt and Brian, that were the same age as my other older brother. And then they had a daughter who was much younger, younger than both me and my sister, Today we might whisper out of earshot of the parents that she must have been an oops baby because of how big that gap was, but one thing was for sure, she was not like her older brothers. The distinctive memory I have of those older brothers was how quick they were to beat up on one another. The twins were bigger and taller for their age, and every time they had a disagreement, they would turn and start wailing on each other as if they wanted nothing more than the death of their brother. The only thing that was ever more reckless and destructive than the twins was their oldest brother, Wesley. He might have the surname of the priest, John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, but he was definitely nothing like him. Wes was smaller than his younger brothers, but he was twice as fierce. If he was angry, he would not quit until he had total submission from his brothers. I still don't understand why the twins never ganged up on him. Uh, If only they had worked together, they absolutely could have taken him. But instead, Wes was always able to divide and conquer as the boss of the house when the parents were were out. We might look at the dysfunction in a family like that and, and think, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that. But the reality is, we all deal with dysfunction in our families. Twins just seem to intensify some of the sibling rivalry that happens in children. I've wondered about those rivalries before. My family was never one to fight physically like our neighbors, but goodness, did we fight in other ways. We would nitpick about words and argue about anything and everything. Now, some of this actually makes sense. When we are children, we are working toward defining ourselves. That's a good thing, even if the teen years a child goes through can really stretch us thin I remember thinking how awful the diaper years were with my own children when they were babies. I could not wait to get to the other side of that, but now people are warning me, Brian, you know teenagers can smell worse than a dirty diaper, don't you? And I have to admit, I've never thought of that before. But that's small potatoes compared to how much children have to go through to become adults. They work uh, through something called self Differentiation. They have to find out who they are and we want this for them, but it's hard work. 
Imagine, though, how much harder it is for twins to self-differentiate. You always have someone around you that looks or acts just like you. You do this thing that is so unique, or, uh, and then the next day they're doing the same thing. Your twin's following you. We think it's cute seeing twins in the same outfits, but goodness, that could be so frustrating for teens trying to be themselves, trying to find who they are. Fights with a twin brother make a little more sense in that context, don't they? What are we supposed to do when it comes to our brothers and sisters, though? With Jacob and Esau, we see a family history repeating. Like Abraham, Isaac struggles to have children. His wife is barren. So how will the promise of God from Abraham to be a blessing to the whole world happen? Well, Isaac prays to God, and he is blessed not with one, but with two children. He's having twins, and as they grew, Isaac loved his son Esau, who was a hunter, and Rebekah, Isaac's wife, loved Jacob. Now we might hear that and think, hey, what's wrong with these ancient parents? They pick a favorite child and only love one of them? Well, that's not what we're supposed to take from this. We are supposed to be thinking of the prophecy that came to Rebekah while she was pregnant. God said, two nations are in your womb and, and two people born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the elder shall serve the younger. Rebecca is not choosing to love one more than the other. She is responding to the division of these two children and enacting God's plan to have the younger serve the elder. Then we have the second part of the story where Esau sells his birthright to his younger brother. The birthright was the inheritance the children would receive when their father died. You would take the number of children and divide the property by that plus one. So twin brothers would have the property divided in three parts and two parts would go to the eldest brother. But sometimes the younger brother would get it. In some cultures, the mother got to choose which child would get the extra portion of the inheritance. I'm guessing there are at least a couple of moms here that wouldn't mind if that still worked that way today. You could tell your kids, you better treat mom right, or that inheritance you think is coming your way is going straight to your brother or sister, right? I'm thinking that would work at least a few times until they realize they already know who mom's favorite is. And when Esau sells his birthright to who he thinks is his mother's favorite child, the story it actually doesn't quite make sense for us. So let me add some context here. Esau seems so desperate when he sees Jacob, but why is he so quick to give away his inheritance? Couldn't he just make his own stew or ask someone else in his family to make it? We actually have a pretty good guess on what's going on here. Jacob, as a quiet man living in tents, probably means he was a shepherd. Shepherds would follow the sheep and set up tents where the sheep were grazing. So Esau is probably coming in from a hunt and isn't actually back home yet. He's at one of Jacob's tent camps. And guess who the boss of the tent camp is? Jacob. Whatever Jacob says goes. If he says Esau gets no food or water, then that's what happens. Jacob has his older brother over a barrel. Either he gives him what he wants or he has to continue to travel for miles until he finally makes it back home. You know, at this point, I have a lot of sympathy for Esau. He hasn't really done anything wrong that we know of, and yet his younger brother Jacob seems to be the one sticking it to his brother. 
Later in Genesis, we would hear how Jacob tricked his father into giving him a blessing meant for Esau. And Esau is livid. As his father Isaac is older and about to die, Esau says out loud that he's consoling himself about his father's coming death with the idea that after Isaac dies, he's going to kill his little brother, Jacob. Finally, we see what perhaps God saw at the beginning, two nations from two brothers divided. Esau's family would go on to be referred to as Edom throughout the Bible, and they became the hated enemies of Israel. Later, they used the name Edom as a codename for the evil Roman Empire. That's how much they despise them. There is real hatred between these twins. Rebecca won't allow for murder in her family and tells her son Jacob to flee. She says, why should I lose both of you in one day? So he leaves. He's in another country for years until God calls him back. God says, go back to your hometown and I will be with you. But how will Esau respond? Won't he still hate his brother who stole his inheritance and stole his blessing? And that's where we see one of the great reconciliations in all of scripture. As Jacob returns home, he hears that Esau has come with hundreds of men. He fears his brother will finally have his chance to kill him, so he puts all his property in front, his sheep and his wife and his children. As Esau comes forward, he does not attack. He does not take his property or bring harm to his family. Jacob bows down to the ground over and over, but his brother runs right up to him and hugs him. He embraces him, and both men weep since it has been so long. And they have had such differences between them, but they are together again. They are brothers. And right there, we see all we need to know of the gospel, of how to treat our brothers and sisters. Has someone tricked you? Forgive them. Has someone stolen from you? Let go of it. Does someone hate you, even threaten to murder you? Work toward reconciliation. Do everything in your power to make it right. And if they still aren't satisfied, then give it to God. And know that one day, maybe years in the future, they might let go of it themselves and forgive you and hug you just like Jacob and Esau did. You don't know what the future holds. But you do know that God calls all of us to reconcile, to make things right uh, like these two brothers did. And if they can do it, we can do it too. You know, in the United Methodist Church, we have something called the General Rules. It's several pages describing how Methodists came to meet together regularly in small groups, and the rules are standard they held each other to and how to act and live. It has lots of details like don't take God's name in vain, don't work on the Sabbath, don't get drunk, don't fight, don't speak evil of people, especially those in government. And it says what we should do, feed the hungry, help the sick, visit those in prison. And finally, what our spiritual life should look like, the public worship of God, reading the Bible, having communion, praying privately and with the family, fasting. It's a long list but a good one, and we have a way of summarizing all these things and how our lives ought to look in relation to our brothers and sisters, whether biological or simply as part of the human race. We say, do no harm, 
do all the good you can, and stay in love with God. That's the rule for each and every one of us. Well, let's end here. Auburn is a professor at the University of Akron who was leading a very different life in her younger years. When she was in her 20s, her husband was out trying to score some drugs for them to use, but she was in total terror. She was worried that her addiction would lead to her losing her son, who was just a baby at the time. As she was sitting in the bed, uh, on the bed in the middle of the night, she was holding a piece of paper with a phone number on it. Her mother had given it to her to try and help with her addiction. It was the phone number of a counselor who was a Christian. She called the number and she says, I heard a man say hello and I said, hi, I got this number from my mother. Do you think you could maybe talk to me? He said, yes, yes, of course. What's going on? And she described the painful situation of her marriage, then that that she might have a drug problem all the way through. He was kind and gentle, listening to her until the sun began to rise. By the end, as the dread left her, she was so grateful and asked, how long have you been a Christian counselor? He said, please don't hang up on me. I've enjoyed talking with you, and I'm scared to tell you this, but you have the wrong number. I'm not a therapist. And she didn't hang up. But after the call, she realized that her world had changed. Here she was, desperate for help, and a completely random person offered her all the love and care in the world. If a stranger on the phone can do that, how much more can we help others? How much more can the body of Christ do for this world? We are all brothers and sisters. As Sal reminded us in our men's Bible study yesterday, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus doesn't pick one brother over another. He listens patiently on the phone, waiting for us to share our needs and our pain that we might move forward together for a better world. May you be a brother or sister or sibling to someone in need today. Despite the flaws and problems of the world that we see reflected even in the scriptures, we will do no harm, we will do all the good we can, and we will stay in love with God every day from this day forward. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.